Yeah, they, they did Dune in one movie, and that's <laughs> 400,000 pages. Yeah, well, that was so. not a... The first Dune wasn't a great oh, movie. That's why they're doing I the disagree. new Dune. I disagree. <laughs> Lynch? You didn't like the Lynch? I love the Lynch. Are you kidding me? I love the Lynch. I, I, honestly, Sting should have got an Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> totally agree for, for his outfit alone. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, how many people can wear a plastic mm. uh, banana hammock? I mean, not yeah. many people. Well, Sting definitely could do that. Greetings, savory inferiors, and welcome to Vampire Insider, the unofficial podcast dedicated to recapping and reacting to AMC's immortal universe, including Interview with the Vampire and the Mayfair Witches. In each episode, hosts Joanne Palumbo, Christina LaRusso, and myself, Mark Seneker, summarize the episode, talk about Easter eggs, discuss standout characters and their arcs, and explore some of the predominant themes. Please join us now. As we discuss the role Claudia's diaries played in the narrative structure of Interview with the Vampire, we are joined by a very special guest today, Erica Robert Paolo. She will be drawing upon her extensive experience working in the film industry and academia. With no further ado, let me introduce my co host, Christina LaRusso. Hello, Christina. Hello. But I have more ado. You have some more ado? I have more ado. Bring all the ado you want. (laughs) All right. So we are less one person today, Mark. We are not going to have Joanne with us today. She She could not find her way to the studio. She couldn't. She had a prior commitment. And so we are giving her the week off. Now let me introduce our guest, Erica Robert Palo. Welcome. Hello, thank you for having me. We've been so excited to do this episode. This has been a long time coming. We wanted to do this actually before the winter break, before we took the the holidays off, but it just we took the holidays off. I know, because we're lazy. <laughs> we we just got exhausted. It was a it was a grind, you know? And then we went through the witches. So So what's all this then? What are we talking about today, Christina? Well, I thought what we would do is uh, Erica actually and I connected and we're talking about some possible topics and Erica came up with this topic and it's about the use of the diaries claudia's diaries as a narrative device erica why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and tell us a little bit about how you want to approach the episode tonight because i'm going to kind of let you take the lead yes i'm erica i spent about a, a little bit over a decade in the film industry photography industry doing lots of different kinds of filmmaking both as a writer director producer editor cinematographer uh stunt person art department pretty much you name it i've done it gaffer i have done gaffer there we go i love gaffing, I love gaffing. Um, yeah all of g e department go genie i actually got into ann rice's books Late 90s, I'd say probably around 1995, I think is when I read the first one. And then over the years, just fell in love with her. I I am a product of the Catholic school system. I, it's, that's not something I'm bragging about. That's something that I am apologizing about. I think they turn out a lot of Anne Rice fans, honestly, <laughs> well, including yeah, Anne Rice. Yeah. yeah, Including Anne Rice. And I think that was the thing is specifically what spoke to me was that she was critical of it. And then, of course, we hit... Memnock and all these other books where she she went the other direction and I I sort of stepped away from her for a long time because of that and then I came back and you know I've read all of her books I have not read all the witches uh, and the wolves but I have definitely read all the vampire books and there's so much about the language there's so much about how she thinks through a lot of the things that I think us silly humans are afraid to talk about and then she puts it in these clever devices that she uses narratively to be able to talk about a lot of this stuff. And so it just, it's always really been important to me to honor her work. And so when I watched the show for the first time, I, I just, it really was something where I went, okay, all those years of being in the film industry, and I, I've actually taught filmmaking to students at university level, college level, stu- um, young students, all different kinds of people. And this, I wish that I was still teaching when the show came out because I would have been, I would have devised a whole syllabus around it. Um, because when I watched it, I felt like this is an example of filmmaking at its greatest. Every person involved in the show, whatever their role is within it, they're at the top of their game. And that is so unusual. That's so, so unusual. So it was just so exciting that then it was about the 
the world that I had been passionate about for so long. And I think it's really reinvigorated me to dive back in. And so over this past almost a year now, I've reread about half of the Vampire Chronicle books and I'm on Blackwood Farm right now. So I've reread a lot of them um, and a couple of them out of sequence just to refresh myself on a lot of that. Um, so, but that's sort of my background. And, but I also, I work as a library assistant at Harvard. So <laughs> I'm also very much, in, I'm an academic minded person. I love research. I love history. I love digging into archives and, you know, literary devices, metaphors, like all the geeky scholarly things. Um, I'm kind of both. So the creative and the scholarly is, is really what I'm passionate about. So I think with all of this stuff going on with the television show, it just speaks, it's just, it's an, it's everything in my wheelhouse that I get excited about. So uh, Christina just passed me a note and asked me if I would consider resigning from the podcast so you could take my spot. I, I shook my head vigorously. And I would like to turn it around. So I was raised Catholic as well. I was an altar boy. I have an aunt who's a nun. Um, I escaped that life. But, I mean, if you're interested in maybe pursuing an inquisition against Christina, who is not Catholic, just let me know. I'm super well, I'm down. I'm covering Catholic. Well, of course we all are. We all are. <laughs> Even me, and I wasn't raised yeah, Catholic. You're, you're still, you still haven't gotten over the Reformation. I just, yeah, I just, I just studied, I just studied it. You, you did. Know. Ick. Uh, that's a fascinating bio, Erica, and one of the, you know, one of the reasons I was so excited to have you on because if, obviously you're going to be able to bring such great perspective to this. I have a question for you because on a previous episode, Mark, Joe, and I were talking about whether or not the witches is in some way going to perhaps hurt interview. And we talked about this differences between the two. And we mentioned exactly what you said, which is everybody on interview seems to be working at like top level. And what I'm wondering, as you were talking, maybe this is a chicken and egg thing, and no one will be able to answer this, but I'd love to hear your speculation on it. Is it that they are just all top-notch filmmakers, or is it something in the material and the camaraderie and the bringing together of those people by Rollin and the other showrunners that, I mean, obviously very talented people, but is it something in the material that's bringing this out of them? From the crew, the people on the ground, and I'm speaking just as the crew, say for the witches, you know, I don't want to doubt that they know what they're doing. I do think that when it comes to the writing and the managerial side of things, producers, directors, whatnot, not even directors, I'm actually going to pull away from any kind of criticism of the directors, because I do think with television, especially the way that these shows are running, you know, it's the producers and the showrunners are really the ones who are wearing the big hats. And in my opinion, I think that where Interview had people in it that just were drinking up the source material, they just couldn't get enough. They saw the beauty in Anne Rice's prose. They saw the possibility in pulling out all of the rich historical source material and then adapting it in a way that is so just exciting and relevant. You know, the idea that they put the, the, the 2022 Dubai stuff in there. I mean, that, that was genius. So they're clearly not beholden to sticking with the source material. They're definitely in there going, we're going to put our creative stamp on that. At least what I have noticed in watching a lot of interviews with the different showrunners and writers and whatnot I get the sense that with the witches, it was more about how can we just look at the source material and then do our own thing with it. Whereas I felt like with interview, it was how can we look at the source material and try to touch it as least as we possibly can, because it's already so good, but we're just going to do these other kinds of updates. Besides that, though, I do think the acting, it's just my God. I mean, the, with interview of the vampire, the, the cast, I believe Everything they say, everything they do, I, I'm along. I'm in it. I don't, you know, whatever crazy antics are going on. I'm like, yep, yep, that's them. That's really happening. With the witches, it felt like not only was the acting a bit spotty, but when you shoot a scene 
You are shooting with the idea that we're going to get too much footage and then we edit it down. Coverage is, I want to make sure I have enough film shot of this scene to where when I go into the edit room, I'm not lacking anything. There's a lot of caveats to this. And when you're doing television, that's harder because you've got a faster turnaround. You've got to get in there, get out. You don't have a lot of time to sit and reshoot and reshoot. However, I do know that Interview the Vampire had a very, very long shooting schedule and they were they were filming for six months. That's crazy for a television show. I don't know the full shooting schedule of The Witches, but it just felt as if everybody with Interview the Vampire wanted to live in that world. Whereas the sense I was getting was that with The Witches, let's just get in there. Let's get the shots. Even if it's not full coverage, well, it's okay. It's not that big of a deal. And then we're going to go home and we're going to turn it off. Whereas I felt like the interview with vampire folks were like, no, 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 we're in this for six months, like Mm -hmm. 24-7. Yeah, like you don't see Alexandra Daddario and Harry Hamlin like goofing around on set and taking pictures together. Obviously, Vampire got very fortunate with Sam Reed and Jacob Anderson, right? I mean, Jake, as he likes me to call him. (laughs) And Well, and don't forget Bailey. Well, of course not. But I mean, I'm just saying those two in particular just seem to have that kind of magical working relationship and friendship that is producing great television, mm-hmm. you know, and they got very fortunate with that. You certainly don't see that on the witches side. I agree with you. I don't, I think it's much more than just that. Honestly, it's the writing. It's different. The writing, but also the way, yeah, absolutely. It doesn't, I don't believe it, but also then the way that it was edited, the way yeah. it was put together, you know, like the way you, you make those choices. You can film 20,000 hours of footage, but the story actually doesn't come together until you get to the editing room. It doesn't matter what you actually have in the camera. It's how it comes out from the edit. That's what people are going to see. I have a quick professional question, and then we'll get back to the whole theme of the show. If you were, for example, filming a scene where there's fire, <laughs> would you just film the characters regularly and then just input like some people holding lighters underneath the camera? Is that how you would do it? <laughs> Well, you mean, well, blow torches are better. But there yes. you go. Um, <laughs> the flames are leaking at her feet. I'm like, no, they're not. They're 30 feet away from her. <laughs> There's zero chance she's being affected by that fire in any way. <laughs> I get more affected by our fires out in the backyard. I, I know. Those are actually get pretty intense. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. It does. It does. Let's move on now. And how would you like to dive into this subject? You want to give like an overview of what we're going to talk about? Yeah. In the books and specifically in the book Interview with a Vampire and then later on in the book Merrick, there are actual references to these diaries of Claudia's. However, it's diary singular. And potentially then plural, but it's only in the books, Claudia only wrote a little bit. It was almost an afterthought the way that it was presented. Jesse Reeves, who is a character that we meet in the books, she finds these diaries hidden in the Royale house, hidden in the wall. They were sort of an afterthought, I guess, is how they were presented in the book. In the television show, They use them, I think, in a genius way. They take them and they use them as this narrative device. One thing about filmmaking that is fundamentally different than anything we read is it's visual. With filmmaking, you have to be able to translate that into something that you can see or hear or both. And what better way to do that than with these diaries? And in fact, Rollin Jones actually made a comment about this. If you've watched the diaries on AMC Plus, they have the diary versions where they have the commentary afterward. He actually talks about how the writers were excited to find some kind of different way of getting inside of this narrative of Claudia because it's in her head. How do we get in there? He also said that the writers were excited about how in 30-minute comedies on television, a lot of times you have these characters that if they want to tell you what's going on in their head, they literally turn to the camera and they break the fourth wall and they just say, here's what I'm thinking. So the writers that interview the vampire said, well, our version of that is going to be to have these diaries. That is a great visual way of explaining what's going on with Claudia. And then I think they went a step further with that by then bringing Daniel into this and having him actually studying them. And then another level beyond that of then bringing both 
Rashid Armand and Louis into the conversation of discussing these diaries. So this is fantastic. See, this is what I think I mean about you're trying to keep the essence of it. You're trying to find a way to let the characters speak for themselves. Yes, they want to be able to give Claudia a voice. But also, I think what they want to do is that they want to muddy the waters even a little bit more than they already are with Louis being, you know, in this term is bandied about a lot, especially in the in the early days, sort of this unreliable narrator, right? Daniel calls him on it. He says, well, when we talked back in the 70s, this is not what you said. And now you're saying all of this stuff. And where is this? Where did this change come from? And is it raining? Is it, was it, yeah, was was it, it raining? raining? <laughs> and introducing Claudia's, because of course in the book, all we have are Louis's impressions of Claudia. You don't really have, you have, you have Claudia filter, filtered through Louis's lens. Here now we have Louis's impressions of Claudia, but my understanding of those like four, five, and six, all of what happens in those episodes is really Daniel reading Claudia's diaries, seeing it through Claudia's diaries, and then maybe fact checking it with Louis here and there. And of course, as we all know, everybody's perception of a situation can be very different. So we're having Claudia's view of it. We're having Louis's maybe revision of Claudia's view of it. But he, he kind of lets her vision or her words stand as, okay, yeah, that's that is what was going on. I think we also have to look at those diaries as a way for us to say, okay, well, now we've got another voice in here. And how trustworthy is Claudia in this situation? And I think we're going to end up finding out maybe not as trustworthy as, as we would like to believe because she's creating her own narrative, too, in order to provide a justification for what her actions are. Okay. You can go two ways with using the diaries as a narrative device. You can go kind of the traditional route, which is basically performing the duties that would be done by a disembodied narrator, right? Like uh, Robinson Crusoe, for example. We assume that everything he's saying in that diary is more or less kind of what happened. Typically, diaries were used to kind of say, yeah, this is how it went. Who's going to lie to their diary, right? Well, guess what? Maybe vampires do. So I think Christina's point is very interesting because the unreliable narrator is an inescapable theme of the not only the books, but, as, but especially of the show. Claudia's voice, after she's presumably gone, is now a third voice to this. So now are we looking at like the last duel where, oh, yes. where it's, you know, you're trying to compare all these competing stories and maybe some are right, some are wrong, or maybe one person's is right, etc. Mm -hmm. Or is it more hey, let's take the diaries as a more reliable narration than Louis just talking to Daniel. And that brings up for me motivation. Why did she write them? In the books, she doesn't keep a diary in the way that she does in the show. It's sort of implied that she ended up writing in these, these diaries as an afterthought to basically prove that she existed. That Claudia in the book said... I want to record my thoughts so that someday someone will discover this diary, read it and understand that I lived, I existed and what I went through. Mm -hmm. It's like Claudia was here. You know, she's like, I'm here and I'm pissed. But it always reminds me of prison graffiti. Claudia was here. That's to me, that's what it is. And if you think about her life as a prison in the book, that little child vampire trapped in the body trapped in that toxic home life with Lestat and Louis. To me, there was really a resonance of like, Claudia was here, like Brooks was here in Shawshank. And being able in that diary to vent what she does in the book diary, the book version of the diary, it, what we learn is said is, is a powerful way for her to be heard, for her imprisonment to be um, shared with people who come later. Absolutely. That she she's definitely doing it intentionally to prove a point and to have her voice heard. Whereas I think in the show, it's at least at first, it seems as if she's just doing it because she's a 14 year old kid and she just wants to keep a diary. She doesn't have any friends. She wants something. She's not necessarily doing this for posterity. And in fact, Later on, when Louis and Lestat discover that she is not starving herself 
and they open up her coffin and they find the, the two diaries in there. She's pissed that they read them. She was under the impression that these were private, mm-hmm. which is also interesting given the fact that that was the twenties. And that was kind of unusual that a little kid would think that her parents weren't checking up on her, you know? So that's, I always, I thought that was an interesting thing that, I mean, I know she's a vampire, but really, you don't think your dads are going to pay any attention to what you're doing. But she was very offended by that. And so offended that, did you read all of my diaries? Did you read all of them? She thought they were private. Mm-hmm. So that already is a difference between the book and the, and the show. And I think that motivation, because in the book, she's very clear in Merrick that not only is this me saying I was here, but my two fathers were awful and not awful in the way that they're presenting it in the show. Awful in that they were weak. Mm -hmm. They were not as strong as I was. I was the vampire and they were a a noose around my neck. Yeah, they were navel gazing and they were, you know. One's a fop and one is is a basket case. Yeah. And in many ways, that's not wrong. She probably was the purest of them because she's really at five way too young to even remember being a human. She's just pure vampire, whatever that means. And and in the book, it means something that's a little bit different from what it means in, when she's a 14-year-old vampire, right? She has a little bit more understanding of her humanity, but not obviously as much as the, as the other two. Do you think she was more savage in the same way that like a chihuahua is? <laughs> what? what? <laughs> you know, just little and... Little and angry. <laughs> just like super mad, biting everybody, whatever. I mean, maybe. To Mark's point also about introducing this other voice in there that, like Daniel is doing, we're just meant to believe is true. I do question that because, well, let's say at the beginning in the show... When I do think that Claudia feels that these diaries are private, they're just a way of recording her experiences. I do think that there's a lot more, shall we say, truth to that. I do wonder as we go forward, especially when she runs away from home, now I think she realizes that people potentially are going to read these words. Something that is questionable to me that I always wondered from the very beginning with the show was... Why did Lestat and Louis never say, um, Claudia, this isn't the best idea to be writing this stuff down because now you basically, we, we now have a paper trail of your serial killing. This is before Lestat goes and writes his book. This is before Louis goes and writes his book, you know, so this is before they recognize that. The fact that she was recording, I believe, much more truthfully in the beginning is problematic if these diaries fall into the wrong hands. Hmm. All right. So now this brings up an interesting point for me because I have been noodling a lot over what I think is going to end up happening is I think Claudia is going to die in season two. I think that she has to. I don't think that they can back away from that. Joanne, if she were here, would be stomping her feet and saying, no, no, I don't want her to die. No one wants Bailey to to not be on the show because she's so great. But Claudia, that has to happen for this arc to come to the, the place that eventually it will for Louis. But I wonder if it's the diaries, the paper trail that Armand takes offense to. And says, you can't do this. Like, we can't have a paper trail of who we are. First rule of vampire club. Right. Don't talk about vampires, right? We can't talk about it. And we know that from um, the vampire Lestat, that it's problematic because, you know, now Louis published his, his book has been published. Vampire Lestat has been published. Lestat's out there seeing about being a vampire. In his rock music videos. And humanity is saying, you know, clueless. We're, you know, the humans are idiots. They are, they're like, they don't think that he's real. So if she shifts her diary from super honest to begin with, and she finds out her, her security measures such as they were were compromised, right? And they become now, more performative. And then, yeah. So if you're writing diary, performative diaries, that it seems like you're kind of aiming at people reading after you're gone. I'm going to have to change how I describe her. Now she is a passive aggressive murder goblin. <laughs> Because that's the most passive aggressive thing you could possibly do is write a diary indicting your parents for people to read after you're dead and gone. Yeah. All right. Passive aggressive murder goblin in the books. <laughs> yes. And I think that this, because there are a couple of examples where 
I do have to wonder, was it Louis that tore out the pages or was it Armand or was it both? Mm -hmm. Um, The part. So there are a couple different things. So one of the one of the first questions that people said, oh, this was a mistake. We're not supposed to have seen this. This is from their they're dated. It's an episode four. They're dated August 7th. And August 8th of 1921, it's the first diary that Daniel takes. And Armand had said, you know, we, we suggest you start with the left. And of course, then Daniel starts with the right. And he picks up this diary and he opens it and he opens it these pages. And these are pages that it's directly from the book, The Vampire Lestat. Right. And it is directly, well, it's the scene when Lestat kills the wolves. But more importantly, it's the part when he sees his mare, his horse, dying in the snow from being attacked by the wolves mm-hmm. in the diary it is written in somebody else's handwriting it's not claudia's handwriting and there there's a dried rose in the margin mm-hmm. so i think we when we first see this diary it's in episode four and it's with daniel however in episode five this is when louis and lestat discover the diaries in Claudia's empty coffin. It's the same diary. It's this one that's got flowers and birds and and it's really colorful. Mm -hmm. This is also where Claudia writes and I'll quote, dear diary, am I going to be a virgin every single time I do it? Mm -hmm. Won't my skin down there grow back like my hair does when I cut it? Mm -hmm. And Louis and Lestat are disgusted, right? So I'm going to posit that it's possible that Lestat wanted to also teach a lesson of, hey, you know what? People can read this stuff. We just read this. And then he actually writes a part of his story into her diary. He does it mm-hmm. so that she can go back and be reminded, hey, guess what? This could be for public consumption. Be careful. Mm-hmm. But more importantly, when he talks about this part, that the section that he writes about is how his, his horse is sitting there in the snow bleeding out looking like a squashed insect and that he ended up to to ease her pain. He takes out his rifle and he shoots her so that Mm -hmm. she's not suffering any longer. And then there's actually a line that says she lay still, which is interesting because then of course we get to episode seven. That's what the episode's called. You know, the thing, the thing lay still. Yes. So in my opinion, it makes me wonder, you know, was Lestat involved in this? Did he, put that in there to remind her of this. That brings us back to the, the, the idea that who are these diaries going to be written for going forward after this moment? Because then what about Armand getting involved? He has access to all of these diaries in 2022, but presumably he's seen them many times over, over the years. So he could be reading these. So is it Armand that actually edits out these pages because he knows it's going to upset Louis? He said multiple times, I take care of Louis. I protect Louis. You know, Louis can't protect himself. I do that. So Mm -hmm. it could also make sense that Armand's getting involved in that. I definitely think that Armand is responsible for taking things out of it because to your point, exactly. He wants to regulate Louis's responses, right? He wants to control how Louis is responding to things. So what better way to do that than to control what Louis is consuming and what Louis is able to see? It wouldn't surprise me if Armand looked at the, all of those diaries before Louis even had a chance to. Lestat, he was part of finding them, I would argue. Prob- I'm sure that I'm sure that I, I bet you in the in the way that this goes. I think that that's going to be it. I think it's going to be he he understands he learns about that there are these diaries that they exist that he reads them and then he says this is a danger she needs to be taken out and that's the excuse rather than you know because she's not a five year old vampire she's a you know she's a fourteen year old vampire and yes she could be hurt by other vampires and all of the rest but she has more autonomy than a five year old. Claudia. So you're looking for the the excuse to kill her. He's looking for the excuse to kill her. And I think he's going to say she's exposed us to. So like I said before, she's exposed us to uh, uh, discovery. But going back to your point about with the vampire Lestat entry, I wonder, you know, and maybe this is what you're saying, what you're saying. So uh, forgive me if I'm being redundant. That particular thing, she lay still. Not that Lestat is saying, you know, other people will be reading this, but this is what I did to my horse. And I can do this to you. She lays still. This is. I think that that's a threat. 
Yes. I think that's a threat to Claudia. Like, Claudia, look, I, you know, and maybe, maybe they, I wonder if there was like a scene <laughs> that they've taken out or they, you know, because it does seem like kind of a weird accident to have happen. Personally, I don't think they're mistakes. Uh, with my filmmaking background, there are these shots that are called insert shots. An insert shot, it's its own shot on when, you, when, you're, when you're deciding for the day, what are we going to shoot? You know, this is uh, shoot A, take one, take two, take three, whatever. An insert shot is literally just a close-up, usually of an object. It could be a hand or something like that, but it's, it's, it's something that's close-up and that you're trying to get the camera and therefore the audience to focus on a shoelace, you know, a, a cup in the background, whatever. These insert shots, they're their own shots on a shot list when you're filming during the day. So it can't really be an accident to have it filmed. They, everybody knows it's coming and it's discussed at length. And then beyond that, once you've filmed it, Again, you have this editing process. Many, many eyes are on the edit. It's not just the director. It's not just the cinematographer. It's the producers. It's, it's all these different people, the editor themselves. Many people view this edit before it goes out. I know there are other examples out in the world, like Game of Thrones, having a Starbucks cup in the background. What, what I feel is a lot of those kind of actual mistakes that we've seen in cinema and movies and whatnot, they're usually wide shots. Because the idea is that editors and directors feel, you know what, we're going to keep it in. Who cares? Because the action that's happening in the scene is wide. It's big. There's lots of stuff happening. If the audience member notices it, that's, that's a shame. But they're going to be distracted by all the other stuff going on. These shots, the ones about these diaries where... In, on Twitter with the interview with the Vampire Writers Room saying, uh-oh, they were just mistakes. Well, I don't buy that with insert shots because they're close-ups. We are forced as an audience to stare at them for a second. And of course, we live in a world where everybody can push pause. Yeah, everybody's oh, pausing. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, that's mostly how I spent the, the whole season was going back and pausing things and looking at artwork on the wall and what's on Daniel's laptop and yep. all that nonsense. Oh, I have a theory about that too. I bet you do. We'll do that some other time. Excellent. But yeah, so there, I just don't believe that it's a mistake. Is that going to end up being an Easter egg that down the line we're going to see the, the resolution in the writer's room is going to go, ha-ha, you know. We, we were, were just joshing you. Psych, we were unreliable narrators on Twitter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what was the other mistake that you that you caught? I, it's one that we've talked about before. Do you want to talk about that one now? This is very controversial. <laughs> we love that. Um, yes. So we're on to the infamous episode five. Oy. Setting aside... My personal feelings about this, because I I will have to agree with you guys that there are ways to talk about violation of a young woman that don't necessarily have to involve rape. So during this episode in episode five, when they discuss the assault by Bruce, mm -hmm. which we're not 100% certain as to what happened, I am going to hold out, crossing fingers and toes, that maybe it wasn't that exact situation. I have a lot of faith in these writers, but I want to also point out that in the show, when the diary appears, that Claudia writes about this, and this is discussed between Daniel and Louis about this entry. When we first see the diary, we're looking at the, it's called the recto page. It's the right side of the diary being opened and it's clean and it gives a description. It's dated November 11th, 1930. It just looks like a diary entry. That's not complete. When Daniel says, I want to read the torn out pages. I want to know what's going on here. And Louis says, well, it's obvious, but is it, this is where going back to, we just were talking about with Armand. I have to wonder if Armand got involved in this. Was it just in the heat of the moment, Louis was angry and tore them out and used the fire gift or whatnot and got rid of them? Maybe. Or did Armand not want to put him through that, even though he maybe had read it, but maybe, I don't know. There, there's a lot of, I don't know, quite honestly, what's going on here. But what I do know is that the one page is clean. When Daniel turns the page, the page that is now on the left-hand side, the text is exactly the same. Yep. 
the same text you read, same date, same handwriting, everything. And then we have four torn out pages and they're ripped. They're not cut. And then we have another page. And on that page, I can't make out everything that's on it, but essentially what Claudia is saying, and it's not dated either, but what she's saying is I'm going back to New Orleans. I can't wait to see Louis. I'm going to have to just deal with Lestat, but I'm going to, I want to take Louis out of there. I want to get him out and see in the world. So basically the conversation that we see Claudia and Louis and Lassat having in episode five, when she shows up back at the house, that's essentially what is written in this other page in the diary. But here's the thing. First of all, why is there a duplicate page? That's odd. Secondly, there is blood splattered, but here's the thing about blood splatter. If you're going to splatter blood, if you rip the pages off then the pages after the blood splattered pages would be clean. Mm-hmm. However, we're looking at blood splatter over the pages of when she's discussing the assault and this page when she's talking about going home. So that tells me that whatever this blood is coming from happened after the pages were ripped out. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Good question. I actually don't completely know about this, but I have a couple theories. One, maybe Armand rewrote that page that's a duplicate. Or maybe Louis rewrote it. I don't know. It doesn't make sense to have a duplicate. That's just bizarre. But okay, well, whose blood? Is this the blood that whoever tore them out? It's their blood? Like they were literally bleeding out of their hand because they were angry? Were they punching walls? What if Louis, possibly Armand, found good old Bruce and brought him to justice? What if they had him looking at her diary? And then they killed him. Who knows? Because another thing about Armand getting involved in this, you have to go, wait a second. Louis with the guy that was in, was responsible for killing his kid? Hold on. So what if Armand is trying to atone for some of this? What if he's the one that is holding on to these diaries to try to make amends somehow? What if he brought Bruce in and got rid of him? We None of us will probably have answers until next season. But the, this is another example of an insert shot where... We, as the audience, are forced to sit and look at this. And these filmmakers are savvy enough to understand that we would all be pausing and looking at this and reading it and going, hold on, that's a repeat. Hold on, what's with the blood? You know, so regardless of whether or not we figure this out before next season doesn't really matter. I have two other possibilities. Please tell me. The first one is, for vampires, blood on something can just be the equivalent of Cheeto dust. They were snacking, they're writing, a little bit of blood gets on the page, that's fine. But the other possibility is, what do vampires cry? Tears of blood. Tears of blood. So I don't know if they're trying to communicate that somebody read this and what, like Louie or something and was overwhelmed by sadness and I bled all over the uh, the page. I love that. It's not consistent with that kind of crying droplets. Okay, Dexter, are you the blood splatter <laughs> expert now? <laughs> I, mean, I had no idea how deep your expertise went. <laughs> to me, the handwriting looks different. If you just look at how the letter I looks from one to the other, the eyes in the November 11th entry are very loopy. How many TV shows let you do forensics like this? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but that's what makes this show so great. I wouldn't be surprised if like somebody came in and Armand or somebody wrote in it. The poor associate but, producer that had to write these is like, my hand just got tired, okay? But, Jesus. <laughs> but what comes, you know, also what comes, is that the end of the diary then? Does, does she start a new diary? And the other thing that, that strikes me as not correct about this is that the November 11th page, I mean, she's in the past tense. But also she stops in the middle of a sentence. You know, he leaned over me and and then that's it. What happened? And it's halfway down. And it's halfway. Not even. It's like a quarter down the page. So what is happening here? There is something very fishy about this. And we're meant to know that there's something fishy. And we're also meant not to really understand it. This is a beautiful, beautiful little Easter eggy kind of delicious clue that they're putting in for us to obsess over. You just have to pray (laughs) that they're not trying to do... You know, the kind of the dying in mid-sentence type of gimmick. And the treasure is buried in, ah, and it trails off. You got to hope that they're not really trying to portray that. No. And that maybe she was interrupted while writing it. This brings back the idea of the unreliable narrator. Who's narrating? Because this is odd. Everything about this, these several journal entries is odd. 
So if we're going to say that Daniel is looking at this and is going to then say, this is another voice to be brought in, I don't think it is reliable. And maybe that's part of what the writers are trying to say is, you need to pay attention to the fact that something is wrong, pay attention, and maybe it's that she is an unreliable narrator. It's just such a strange it's such a strange thing though, because if it, let's say it's Armand, right? He's recopying it to kind of change the story. Armand has been alive for, you know, hundreds of years yeah. at least. Hundreds of years. It, you know, he has pl- he has nothing but leisure time. You know, he doesn't have a job. He could have written it carefully enough to make sure, okay, did I double copy the page? Did I put it on the right side of the notebook? That type of thing. So I don't really buy that it just, oops, I accidentally left both pages in there, right? So there's got to be some other weirder explanation than that. So let me ask this question. Do you think that Daniel is believing the diaries? I That is a hard question because on one hand, I would say he is believing them because I think he sees Claudia as someone who kind of doesn't give a shit about what people think about her. So regardless of whether people read these diaries or not, she's just going to say what she's going to say versus somebody like Louis, who's been editorializing this whole time in various ways. Because Daniel even says, why did you tear these out? Regardless of how noble the intention is, when you editorialize, then it calls into question everything else that you're telling me. So I do think that Daniel puts a lot of stock in these because I think he believes that she is the most vampire of the three, that she's not apologetic about her nature and who she is going into the world. Now, is that true? I don't know, because I do think she started to edit herself. I think Claudia became aware that people could read this and maybe said things in certain ways. On the other hand, Daniel's job is to be... Daniel's job is to question everything. And at this stage, he doesn't know what to believe. Every time he starts to go in one direction, he questions if that's wrong or right. I think he maybe would like to believe it because then it's another voice other than Louis. Because at this stage, everything we're hearing that's going to go into this book is from Louis's point of view. But I wonder if there's a point where he does sort of raise an eyebrow and go, you know, what is the truth here? What is what is reality? I wonder if we're going to see that in season two, where the diaries get interrogated oh, that's his whole even thing, more. Right? That's his whole thing. He's He's got a couple of different metrics going here. He's like, you know, what is my assignment of veracity for Louis? Now I've got this other sketchy ass Rashid uh, Armand. Armand guy that I now probably met back in the 70s. And I got to figure that out. And I have these diaries, which have clearly been altered. Now, how much do I invest in that? So Daniel's got a tough job. He does try to prompt Louis. He says, you tell me the continue to tell me the story. And Louis says, read the diaries. That's a good point. And we know we can't really trust Louis. <laughs> I, I trust no one. I do feel as if when we, when we get these diaries in these episodes, the very first diary we ever read is Daniel looking at this and it, it's dated Paris, November 14th, 1945, talking about we've arrived in Paris and how excited she is. And I wanted to read this line because I just think it's interesting. And she says, we might be outsiders to both humans and Parisian life, but I do appreciate both now with such fervor. Granted, I've never hated my body more. And then after that, he goes on to Poland, Mm -hmm. which is that conversation between Claudia and Louis that's not great that they talk about while Louis and Lissette are having sex. But you know. Um, this comes up, this, you know, the huge, huge, (laughs) but it was a, it was a, it was a point of positivity between the two of them, between Claudia and Louis. But the reality is that in her diary entry from this place, which is dated earlier, um, September 8th, 1941, this is when she talks about the POWs and how they're malnourished and it's disgusting to drink them and that they catch them. As they trudge from their work in the oil fields, they have no strength left to fight. That's actually, these are the first things we're getting. And I would argue that those are probably pretty darn accurate. If we're talking about reliable narrator, unreliable, that's probably reliable. That is how Daniel comes into learning about Claudia's diaries. I would imagine he sees her as pretty reliable at first. The next ones he's reading, we've gone back in time. It's when Claudia actually reflects 
on the night of her turning. She's talking about the black angel and the white angel and all these things. And it's very childish, childlike, very like a 14 year old would write. So again, it's like, it's not edited. It's not, it's just putting stuff on the page. Again, probably pretty reliable. So I think at the beginning of her diary writing, she just wants someone to talk to. And then going back to that place where they read her diaries and they catch her in it. And that night is when I think she snaps. And that's when she starts realizing from now on, I have to start thinking of this differently, how I'm writing in this. And I think from that point onward, I think it's not as reliable. I think some of it's performative. And then we snap into the future of 2022. And then yes, I do think Armand has potentially been involved in some of this. I don't think Louis has been manipulating these pages. He may have ripped them out, but I don't think he would have copied anything. But I do think there's manipulation. And I think Daniel smells the fishiness in all of this, especially because he has now seen the progression of these diaries. And just like everything else that he's been noticing, it seems legitimate. And then he has to question it because now it just, no, this can't be right anymore. And now I question the reliability of all of this. It's such a fascinating storytelling device. I love that they did this because, of course, it gave us so much to dig into and and look at. Going back to that idea of how do you adapt literature for the screen? It's, It's a completely different kind of storytelling. And you have to really embrace the strengths that each allows for. And with television, it's visual. And this is such a great way of saying, okay... Here is something that would make sense. It makes sense to the character. She's a 14-year-old girl who's made a vampire in this bizarre situation. She'd be recording things. So it it fits with the character. It's not just something out of left field thrown in there because the writers are just trying to be clever. This actually fits. I think this goes back to our conversation of why does this show continuously work? And why does it feel like people are at the top of their game? It's because they're choosing devices, narrative devices that fit the universe, but also make actual sense. They're motivated choices. So I'd like to think that Anne would really appreciate all of this and see the value in this and that it doesn't just give us the answers Because that has been used often in television and film with a diary or something like this, that it it gives too much away. Mm -hmm. But this, it just teases us and their Easter eggs abounded in it. So I think this is also why it's so clever, because it's not an easy answer. You can superficially watch this show and come away and enjoy it. And it's a great It's a great ride. But for those of us who are really invested in the material, this is exactly the kind of thing that you would want to be able to do. With Interview with the Vampire television show, they've all made it very clear they're actually taking into consideration the entire universe. They held up the stack of books. And that's why I think with all these diaries that they're leaning into these things going, okay, we know what happens in Merrick, so we're going to go ahead and pull from that. Part of what what Claudia talks about later in the diaries with Merrick is that she talks about wanting to keep Louis around because he was weaker and more easily manipulated Mm -hmm. because she wanted to be in charge, really. There is a place. It's in episode six. This is after Claudia beats Lestat at the chess game. And on rewatching this, Louis is sitting off to the side reading a book, and he's just trying to ignore the noise of the two of them arguing. But in the background, if you listen, there's a radio playing. And what's playing on that radio is President Roosevelt. And I look this up. This is actually September 3rd, 1939. It is his fireside chat. And what this speech is about, this is two days after basically World War II was declared because Poland... Germany had invaded Poland and they were and everybody said, if you don't get out, we're going to declare war. They didn't. So war was declared. President Roosevelt got on the radio and said, we don't want to get involved in this. The U.S. wants to stay neutral. However, everything that goes on across the world relates to the United States. This is we are a world. This is things don't happen in a vacuum. That's what's in his speech, essentially. But he says repeatedly, I want to make sure that I try to find a way 
to stay neutral in this conflict for as long as we possibly can. I think that this speech is actually an allegory for Louis's attempt to stay neutral in the war between Lestat and Claudia. Hmm. However, he does pick a side and he picks a side in that scene. He agrees with Claudia they're going to kill Lestat. President Roosevelt even says that this war is going to affect the American future. Who are the Americans in this scene? Right. Claudia and Louis. Yeah. He's not neutral. He's no and- Neville Chamberlain. <laughs> For sure not. It's this beautiful way that they're pulling, the writers and the showrunners pulling from these diaries and the source material years in advance. I mean, Merrick takes place in the year 2000, you know, that or 99, 2000, mm-hmm. but they're pulling from this material and they're bringing it in, in these subtle ways so that when we get to further events down the line, we understand who these characters are because they've put in the effort and the work to think about who are these characters across the universe? We, we, what a gift to have the universe. We know where it begins and when it ends. So we're going to keep it focused on what happens in this book, Interview of the Vampire, but we're going to make sure that we think about how is this going to affect things down the line? Mm-hmm. That's one of the reasons I think that this is so successful too, is because that is the kind of stuff that they're, these are the, the attention to detail they've put into that so that we are not maybe so shocked later on if we do get journal entries from Claudia that are just ripping into to Louis in particular and saying how she hated him, was wanting to manipulate him, because Daniel actually speaks to this mm-hmm. at the very end of episode seven. And he's yelling at Louis saying, why did she, she seems like she hated your guts. Yeah. Why is that, Louis? It makes sense. We're understanding the complexity of these characters, that they're not one note. More and more, I really like setting the 2023 has to, I mean, it has to be post-Merrick. If they're going to keep, well, I mean, I guess it doesn't have to because they've shifted the timeline. But I still think uh, there was one thing that Louis says early on when in, in the, the dining scene where they're, when he's eating the fennec fox it wasn't a fennec fox <laughs> which wasn't a fennec fox it was some other kind of fucking fox <laughs> when he's eating the fox uh and he says the last person i killed was i think he he says like in 2000 or something yeah. like that right yes. which would have been merrick yes i know some people haven't gotten to merrick yet however sorry spoilers can i do spoilers yeah yeah, yeah of course we don't care about people no <laughs> we, we don't care about your feelings <laughs> Buckle up, kids. We're Gen X. <laughs> all right. We all are, actually. Yeah, yeah. Too. In Merrick, which was released in the year 2000, Merrick helps Louis bring Claudia back to life. She connects with Claudia's ghost. And this is after they have reread together the diary entries of Claudia saying how much she resented Louis and how she manipulated him. And the only reason she kept him around was because he was easily manipulated, unlike Lestat. And she says to him, take out a page of the diary that you that you won't you'll never be able to see that again. Because she's gonna burn it. Because she's gonna burn it. That's part of the spell. So she does that and that's why I think some of those ripped out pages are are him ripping them out. And the the ones that are cut out are probably the ones that Armand has fiddled with. That was my guess, is that those are the pages that were ripped out and given to Merrick. I agree. And in Merrick, he takes one page, Mm -hmm. but why not four? Why not? I mean, so exactly. So I completely agree with you. I think that this is later, that those were ripped out during Merrick. Mm -hmm. But then beyond that, when Claudia's ghost comes back, she just, she has no love for Louis. None. And beyond that, she literally tells Louis to kill himself. Mm-hmm. She says, go into the fire, kill yourself, be done with this stupid father. I mean, it goes on and on and on. It's awful. Kids are so ungrateful. <laughs> <laughs> but, but okay, what if those are the pages? So she gets assaulted and... That would be a time where you, she would say, he's put me into this position. He's made me what I, I mean, Louis in the series more than, in, more so than the book, he really wants her to be turned. And she, he's, he's put her into that position. 
And that's where she finally has to confront in the series the terrible position that he's put her into because she is susceptible to a stronger vampire. And of course, she maybe she was raging at him in those in those pages. And maybe that's where she does kind of spill all of those really and hurtful thoughts about him and then comes back and and then that's where you know that, that that's where she's going to manipulate him she knows she needs him and she's just going to manipulate him because he's obviously the easier one lestat has her number a little bit more than than i think louis does right i think that lestat maybe he sees more of himself in her you know because there's that tension between lestat and louis too who who does she take after more right you know and there's they even express that verbally well who is she more like Lestat says as she takes off and try and kills the policeman in there in that that early scene. So what if the in the series, Louis has more of a hand in her death in the series than he did in the book? I mean, that would be even further evidence as to her anger. Mm hmm towards him going forward. It also could be why Armand is more protective. Mm -hmm. Because if we think back to, you know, what's going to, what we know is going to happen in season two to some extent when Claudia and Louis get to Paris and encounter Armand's coven for the first time, the rules that they had set up were that, you know, you don't kill your maker Mm -hmm. and you don't kill other vampires. Mm -hmm. So it is very possible that Louis was more involved and Armand wants to erase that evidence, mm-hmm. maybe from other vampires, but also to assuage some of Louis's guilt, maybe. Yeah. That's a very good question. You know, he has to take care of him. He has to protect Louis because Louis, you know, he sometimes he loses his temper. Well, and something I wanted to also say about going back to the Merrick stuff that I think is really interesting because there's been a lot of conversation online about well, wait a second. How does Louis have powers? He should not have these powers. Even Armand shouldn't be flying. But how how is this happening? And if we go off of, the, it would be an altered timeline. But if we somehow go with the thought that Merrick has happened, after Louis sees Claudia's ghost and she tells him to kill himself, he says, okay, I'm going to do this. And he tries to. He goes into the sun and he does burn himself to a crisp. Merrick, Lestat, and David all bring him back to life. They give him, they infuse him over and over and over again with their blood. He comes back. Not only does Louis come back, Louis comes back actually as a badass, strong ass vampire mm-hmm. for the first time in his existence. He is strong, and there's even commentary between them all of. Louis is now an equal. He is as strong as everybody else. He has powers like everybody else because David, Merrick, and Louis and Lestat all feed off of each other. So they're all getting Lestat's really strong blood. So I think that in the year 2000 that this stuff happened and Louis said, I'm never going to kill again. That was one of his vows. And that's what we see in the show. But also he now has powers He can hear people at a great distance. He has the fire gift. He always had the mind gift to be able to have telepathy, but it seems stronger. And we know he has the spell gift, which means he can take Daniel's arm and make Daniel hit him, like, shake. Mm -hmm. So we know he can manipulate physically. So that's what I think is going on here, too, as I think that these are these little comments to those types of things. But again, this goes back to why the show is so clever. I mean, we don't have, we don't know hundred percent. We don't have hundred percent proof yet that this is the truth. However, it sure seems like these are some pretty well-dropped Easter eggs. So that's great on the writer's part. Again, they're thinking of the big picture. They're thinking of the long game with this. Mm -hmm. How do we pepper in these narratives from future books without necessarily naming them, because I don't name it, but to say since the year 2000, nothing in this show is coincidental. Mm -mm. Nothing. Erica, we want to thank you so much for coming on and sharing your thoughts with us. This has been a great conversation. As much as we've missed Joanne, um, I've I've really enjoyed having this talk with you. Uh, Do you want to tell the listeners, you know, sort of your socials? And I know that you're doing a fanfic. Absolutely. Yeah. My Twitter handle is at Slay Sweet. 
with three E's. That's S-L-A-Y-S-W-E-E-T. I do have a page on Archive of Our Own. The only fanfic I'm writing, which is my first one, is this one, but I'm pretty obsessed with it. I'm actually going to drop the third chapter tomorrow. Yay! It jumps off of the book Merrick. So that's why I know this material very well, but it centers around Gabrielle and Merrick as partners, but it also talks about Lestat, Louis, and David. All the bunch, their own little coven. It's Slay Sweet on Archive of Our Own as well. Instagram, I'm as Erica Robert Paolo, E-R-I-C-A-R-O-B-E-R-T-P-A-L-L-O. And I do have a website by the same name, ericarobertpaolo.com. That's where you can find me. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Can't wait to have you back to talk to us uh, about speculation and what ifs, because that'll be a fun, that'll be a fun episode. All right. Uh, Usually Joanne is the one that does this, but if you want to follow us on Twitter, you can follow me at at Christina Gen X. Mark is at Mark Eats Peach. Joanne is at just block me underscore one. And we have at vampire underscore insider, which is our, our main page. And you can find us on other socials as well, just by looking up vampire yeah, insider. Don't be lazy. Look us up. Yeah. <laughs> All right, everyone. Thank you very much for listening. And we will talk with you again next week. 